when it comes to the end of life for our beloved oodles, it's not something we generally want to think about or even talk about, but it's a reality which we'll be forced to deal with in our future. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Jackie Campbell, who is the owner and head palliative care veterinarian at Sunset Vets about palliative care, what to expect when our babies are near their end of life, our options, and dealing with the grief that comes with it all. It's an emotional but very important episode, so be prepared. Who's positively spoiled? If you have a spoiled oodle, just like me and many others, then you're listening to the right podcast. Positively Spoiled is a new podcast focusing on helping you raise a happy and healthy oodle. Now, we know just how fussy, cute, loving, and sometimes challenging they can be, but hey, us two-leggeds can't resist a cute four-legged face. I'm Tanya, chief porcelain, pet concierge, and temporary porrent to many small dogs that are part of the extended oodle family here at Three Spoiled Dogs. As a lifelong small dog owner and temporary porrent to many other oodles and many small dogs, I have seen it all. And this podcast is here to help you raise the happiest and healthiest oodle that you can. And hey, we don't discriminate. So if you have any other breed of dog, you'll find the podcast relevant and helpful too. So pause up and let's get into today's episode. Well, hello everyone. It is Tanya Williams here, Chief Pawson at Three Spoilt Dogs with another episode of the Positively Spoilt Dogcast. Now, we have a very special episode today. Now, I know I say that about all my episodes, um, but today could be a particularly emotional one, but it's a really important topic that we all need to talk about. And um, we're talking about dealing with end of life of our beloved babies and I've got the perfect person here to talk to about that and that is Dr. Jackie Campbell. Now she's the owner of Sunset Vets Palliative and End of Life Care. So Jack does this for a living and we thank God for people like her. Um, and she has uh, very kindly agreed to to jump on today and talk about this uh, very emotional topic. How are you Dr. Jackie? I am really well, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It, it is an emotional topic for sure, but it's it one is. that we, you know, know when we're prepared for it, we, we get better outcomes for everyone. So our pets do better and our families do better. So I love that, that we're tackling it today. It's, it's a hard one, but a good one. Yeah, for sure. Now, can you start by just telling people a bit about you about um you know a bit about why you became a vet and why you're you know particularly specializing in end-of-life care yeah definitely so um as you mentioned i'm the owner of sunset vets and i am essentially now working just as a palliative care veterinarian so i don't do regular medicine anymore i work just with patients uh that are at end stages so these are patients that have either had a terminal diagnosis that they've been given or they're sort of approaching end stages and we're looking at ways in which we can support their comfort and support their well-being uh as we get towards towards the end. Um, so that's my day-to-day, uh, I guess, is, is supporting families. Um, and we have a team of veterinarians now that uh, work in lots of locations now across the country. Uh, and the goal, I suppose, at Sunset is, is we want to try to help families to be able to access that kind of care, mm-hmm. uh, typically in their own home. So we work collaborative, collaboratively with, with regular vets, but we work in the home, in your own home, uh, you know, looking to kind of support the, the the medical needs of both the pet and the family. So a kind of a bit of a double-edged um, angle that, that we would approach care with. Um, so I've been a vet for, gosh, a long time now. I graduated back in 2006, I think. Uh, and I started practice, um, I guess, working in, in mixed animal practice, doing all, all things. Uh, and then I really just became super interested in pain management mm-hmm. uh, and particularly in chronic pain. So, you know, I think we're all pretty good at recognising when, you know, our pets are in acute pain. You know, maybe they've had an injury and they're, they're kind of yelping and sore. Mm-hmm. But chronic pain is 
something that is often much more difficult for us to recognise and the changes that we see with chronic pain can be really subtle. So I got really interested in, in kind of how do we identify pain and, and diagnose it and support pets with it. And that kind of led into this world of, of palliative care. Uh, and, you know, in all reality, Tan, when I kind of went through university and when I graduated, we didn't really talk about palliative care as being an area of, of veterinary medicine that we practised. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of integrated it into general hospital medicine. But uh, as things have, I guess, advanced in vet medicine, we've really kind of advanced our ability to deliver good palliative care and support people through kind of those final weeks and months. And and then a huge component, I guess, of what we do is also helping families to say goodbye at home. So that in-home euthanasia um, and try to support those families with their emotional needs as well. So that grief support piece is a a really key part of, of what we do. Absolutely. And look, I think everything to do with pet care has changed so much in the last 5, 10, 20 years. I remember, you know, with our last um, dogs that we had, you know, you didn't hit, like have these types of conversations. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a, certainly wasn't a service to be able to have this type of thing at home. You know, we were feeding our dogs pal for God's sake. You know, it was just we didn't have pet sitters. We didn't have raw foods. We didn't have a whole bunch of stuff now that we know actually helps their lives and makes them, you know, more happier and and healthier. So I think over the years, all these types of services and and certainly, you know, technology and and all that sort of stuff has helped us have happier and healthier pets. And I think, um, you know, maybe that's helping them live longer um, and maybe live, you know, that happier and, and healthy life. Do you find that the, you know, the, the better lifestyles now that a lot of dogs have is actually helping them live longer? Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely literature and, and studies that do support that is in that we're, you know, we're seeing that, you know, the, the point in time at which families are electing to let their dogs pass, so euthanasia or, or passing at home, um, that that time frame is absolutely extending. And mm-hmm. there's a multitude of reasons for that. Um, some of it is, is kind of social decision making, how society kind of makes those decisions about when is it appropriate to, to kind of euthanize a pet. Um, but equally, we've just got so much advancing medical care. So we're, we're better than we ever were at, at intervention and disease management. And, you know, when I graduated, we, we would talk about things like chemotherapy, but they certainly weren't commonly utilised by families. And, and now we've got really mm. great things that we can um, offer to families to you know, manage disease well. And I think we then have this extended period where our pets are kind of living in, in that old age space. Um, so they're, they're, you know, living, I guess, with those more chronic conditions, things like osteoarthritis and, you know, kidney disease and liver disease, and we're managing them really well. And in, mm-hmm. in many cases, these pets are very comfortable and happy and their, their quality of life is still good. Um, so that in its Itself, I think is is part of the reason why uh, you know palliative care veterinarians need to exist in in that we have pets living in that that period of their life that stage of life for longer and we want to do everything we can to make sure that we're not um, prolonging their life beyond the point where they might be suffering so yeah, leaving absolutely. it too long yeah. but we also want to help families to kind of focus on what you know what what does good quality of life actually mean for them and trying to individual individualize that care yeah and look I think you know you said you've mentioned quality of life and that's such a big important part of the conversation because I know when we had our last dogs the vets always said to us it's about quality of life and while they can eat and drink and their tails wagging even if they're sleeping a lot and whatever that's fine while they're doing those normal things they're probably still okay um but yeah I think when they can't and you know getting to that point when they're not doing that and you're having to make those bloody hard decisions, mm. um, you know, you have to sort of take yourself out of the picture sometimes and go, you know what, this is not about me, it's about them, it's about what's best for them. Um, and as hard as those decisions are, they're, they're ones that you need 
to make. I'm, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to cry in this episode at some yeah. point in time. I'm trying not to, but um, yeah. you know, when we think about our babies' lives now, I'm you know I've got um, you know my three three dogs and um, Tia, Latte, and Nia. Now Tia and Latte are thirteen, and Neo's just turned eleven. So they're you know they're getting on an age, but you know they especially Neo is like a little puppy still, and no one believes how old my dogs are. Um, because they are totally spoilt and do have such great lives. But it's one of those things that we're getting to that age where you're going, we're going to need to think about this at some point in time, maybe in the not too near future. Like I'd love to think that they're going to live to 17, 18 years old, but, you know, maybe that's not realistic. But um, it is a hard topic to talk about. You don't want to talk about it. like people, you know, you don't want to talk about anyone, your family or your partner are dying either. So it's not, death is never an easy subject. Um, but what are the key sort of considerations that pet owners probably need to think about that will actually help them through this process if they have got an older dog are they going to have to start to make some of those sorts of decisions soon yeah look I think you know we we all I guess worry about that impending timeline and and Mm -hmm. you know your your story Tanya it's so so common that you know we get thinking about that numerical age of 13, 14, and we we start to kind of have these fears, which are really rational about yeah. what do the future years actually present for me. Um, so it is really helpful to think about this topic in a way of what can I be looking for that's going to be focusing on quality of life and not necessarily spending all of our time worrying about those end moments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's so much that we can do to uh, make sure that that we're doing all the right things around mobility and sleep and, as you say, nutrition and enrichment. Um, and it can be actually a really kind of positive and rewarding time. And we have a lot of our clients who, you know, they actually love those senior years. So it's it's definitely not all doom and gloom. It's yeah. really about, I guess, um, having some of those healthy conversations in the household about what you're seeing and seeking some guidance. So from your vet or, you know, if you're, you're kind of further along the journey, seeking out a palliative care vet to, to help to guide you through. We, you sort of mentioned this, this concept of, of quality of life and some of those things that your vet told mm. you to watch for. But quality of life is a really, um, you know, kind of broad topic to, to dive into. And yeah. every pet's going to be a little bit individual. And there's certainly, you know, not a blanket rule over if they're still eating, their quality of life is good. If they're still drinking, their quality of life is yeah, good. Of course, yeah. We really, you know, know a lot more now about how we can kind of assess our pet's well-being at end of life. And it's definitely also an evolving area of medicine so we're learning more all the time this whole you know kind of area of medicine around aging um, much like in human health we we have more studies more literature more knowledge around you know what are the measures we should actually be looking for and one of the things that I think is often really helpful for people to think about is thinking about kind of the natural or the, the wild environment for our pets. If we think about what would happen in that instance, we really don't have pets reaching these great old ages. So in a wild environment, you know, when a pet becomes unwell or injured, you know, in, in the case of many dogs, if we look at those natural populations, it's at the age of six or seven. Um, wow, it's not in the teens. So yeah. Yeah, so without the human intervention, I guess, of a sheltered environment and adequate nutrition and all of the things we do, what we have is pets or dogs, I should say, dying at much younger ages, but they don't Mm. die with the prolonged period of potential ageing. So Mm. we actually are influencing their natural life cycle a lot and we therefore have a bit of a responsibility I suppose to make sure that we are looking for pain and looking for discomfort and we're trying to minimize any potential for suffering for that period of time because it's a man-made kind of scenario Um, obviously pets in the wild or animals in the wild do die but they die fairly quickly they they get sick or they get injured and they die over a period of you know days or weeks 
it's not a case of many, many years of living with age-related diseases. And so it's really important that we know what to look for. It's really important that we are thinking about things like, hey, they might have arthritis. Can we do something about that? Can we make sure they're not painful? And arthritis particularly is one of those conditions where we know statistically the vast majority of our pets, once they get into those teens, are going to be showing signs of of arthritis. If we were to do x-rays on their joints, we would see it. And so it's really then about assessing, do they need more support around that? Do they need supplements? Do they potentially need anti-inflammatories? Or do they need things like um, environmental changes? You know, what's their bedding like? What's the flooring like? How are they getting up and down stairs? Mm, All of those things can be so impactful and they can take a dog from being, you know, kind of in in a degree of discomfort through to, you know, having a really great senior period of many, many years if we get that equation right. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, that's a good point about the environmental stuff as well because just changing, you know, things to make it easier for them. I know um, without one of my past guys, he was going blind Mm. and I remember the vet saying, look, they really do well. Um, yep. in adjusting without their eyesight. They do. As long as you're not moving furniture around and, and doing all that sort of stuff. He did. Like, he'd get around and you'd go, you wouldn't think that he could barely see. Um, but it, and I, it was not something that we'd sort of thought about until we obviously had to have those discussions about you experienced his eyesight. Yeah. Um, but it made perfect sense as well to go, well, if we can do that and that keeps him more comfortable and it allows him to get around without running into things or falling down or whatever, um, that obviously helps his quality of life as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, when I'm working with families, you know, we're talking about a particular condition that the pet has. I would say probably about 50% of that conversation is about the the medical side of things. Mm -hmm. And probably 50% of what we do is is talking about things like like the environment and mental enrichment and and really focusing on, on activities that both the dog and the family can still continue to enjoy so that we're we're focusing on those quality of life outcomes you know it's not all diseased focused it's very much about what can we do today that's going to provide a little bit more comfort or make this pet's life a little bit easier and they're much like I guess you know humans that are aging Mm. Um, there are so many things that we can do just to to make uh, everyday activities a little bit easier for our dogs and cats as well. Yeah, of course. Um, let's sort of talk a bit more about palliative care and what that actually sort of means as well. Like um, I imagine it's very similar to, you know, the human situation. So what does it look like and, and you know, is that, um, I mean, I know obviously it's just a different option rather than a better option than taking them to the vet or dealing with that. But can you explain to me a little bit about what the process is when people might need to start to think about palliative care as well? Yeah, absolutely. So palliative care is really about a particular focus in the way in which we would make care decisions. Mm -hmm. So our goal is always to look at can we do anything within our ability either by managing with medications or by managing things like the environment and the activities we're doing? Can we do anything to improve uh, that patient's comfort? Mm -hmm. And I always talk to families about this thinking when we're in kind of the early years with a pet and we have a, a diagnosis of something, we're very focused on what is that diagnosis and what are the treatment options for that disease? When we get to talking about palliative care choices, we're less concerned about what the disease is and we're more concerned about what is the patient or the pet actually experiencing. Mm -hmm. So they may have heart disease, but what's more important to me is are they in pain? Do they have any anxiety? Do they have any distress associated with that heart disease? So it's really focused on pain management and controlling any symptoms that we see. So when you give that example of of one of your previous pets kind of Mm. developing blindness, it's really looking at, you know, not so much what is the cause of that blindness, it's we have blindness as a a presenting symptom. What is our treatment option going to be for making that pet comfortable? And it is things like making sure there is no pain associated with that blindness and, Mm. and depending on 
the, the disease that we have, there can be in some cases and there isn't in others. And then doing things like, you know, making sure they're in a safe, secure environment, looking at risk and um, trying to make sure they come to no harm, you know, they can't fall in the pool or things like that. Yeah. And and those things, they may seem very simple, but they, they are certainly the things that, that really do impact quality of life for these these pets and, and for the families as well. So, Absolutely. you know, really yeah. common that we have owners very distressed about how they're going to make those care decisions. So we, we work on treating both the, the pet medically, but also essentially treating the client and the family. So working through what are your values? What's important to you as we face some of these decisions? Where's your line in the sand? And, and how do we help you to, to make decisions that, that are going to align with your value set when it comes to treatment, no treatment, euthanasia, all of those really yeah. tough, difficult decisions if, that people are faced with? Yeah. And everyone's different as well. I remember um, my mum and dog, our, mum and dad, our family dog, he was like 19 or something when they finally had to make that decision, which was way too past when it needed, not too long after it needed to be done, by the way. But um, yeah. and I think he had dementia and like, you know, the poor little guy get lost in the yard and stuff like that. And I remember I was just dumbfounded because they took him to the vet and left him at the vet because they couldn't do it. They said it was too hard. They couldn't. And I just went, how can you do that? Like I was just absolutely yeah. in a state going, you can't just do that. Like you've got to be there for him. And I know for me, and again, it's a very personal thing and I get it. So I shouldn't judge that. But I know for me with with um, Nike, Harley and Jazz, my thing was I needed to be there with them. I needed with to, them. you know, be yeah. holding them in my arms when I had to <laughs> finally say boy. goodbye to them. Um, yeah. And that's one of my others, my other little angels deciding she wants to be part of this conversation she as well. She wants to have an opinion. Um, but that yeah. was a personal choice that, you know, we made. I remember with when Harley passed, I got a phone call, um, you know, from, from Shane and he'd had heart issues for a, a couple of years. Um, and I was in Sydney. I had to, I was like, book me a flight. I'm jumping on a plane because yeah. they weren't sure if he was going to make it through the night. And I was oh like, I just need to get there, you yeah. know. And I was lucky I got there got down to the emergency vet and we were able to say goodbye to him yeah. but you know not everyone's that lucky as well but not everyone's um, that lucky yeah. I shouldn't have started telling this story <laughs> but Aww. I get that everyone is personal and has their own beliefs in what they want to do and how they want to handle things um let, I want to sort of I suppose talk a, a bit about this of this home idea of a home service as well because that wasn't an option I know when when I had my my other guys like it was you know you took to the vet and the vets were absolutely fantastic like they were so caring and empathetic and they gave us the time that we needed to spend with them and you know before and after um and I could not fault them at all they were just so fantastic what are the benefits of actually going through that process when it is that time at home over doing it in something like a vet surgery? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the first thing I would say, Tan, is, is as you say, everyone's really different. So yeah. part of the process of connecting with a palliative care vet is, you know, we, we do spend probably a little bit more time with families talking about what's important to them and we'll very quickly work out, you know, is this a family that really needs that additional emotional support and what, you know, how do they want that last day to look? And again, Hopefully, you know, we've got some time to plan and we're not in a crisis situation like it sounds like you were with your little one where, you know, absolutely the emergency centre is going to be the best place that you can be to make sure that, that you know, there's no distress. Mm. Um, but if we have got the ability to plan and, and we talk a lot about timing, you know, we don't want to leave these decisions too late and, Commonly, when we are leaving them too late, the, the main reason for that is often our own fears. And so yeah. connecting with a palliative care vet can, can sometimes help us to work through, okay, what are you frightened of? What are the things that you're worried about? How do we help to make sure that we don't leave this decision too late? Um, and we're sort of wrapping our arms around you and supporting you to, to get you to that decision point. 
That being said, though, you know, as you say, a lot of um, the veterinary teams that we work with are fabulous. And so for those families, maybe like your parents, that I I get this kind of question a lot, you know, do I need to be there or do I not? And and most people, I think, want to be with their pets and it's wonderful when we can facilitate that. But there will be a percentage of, of people for whom that is too much emotionally for them. And I think it's really, you know, helpful for people to hear that if if that is you and if that is your grief place, know that when those pets are left in the veterinary clinics, they are so loved. You know, those, those nurses and those vets are going to be yeah. taking great care of those pets in that moment. So, you know, they're, they're, everyone's different. Um, mm. If we're looking at, at sort of saying goodbye at home and being supported at home, I guess one of the big benefits, well, there's two. Often it's, it's avoiding travel for that pet at the end mm. and, and if that pet is got arthritis or uncomfortable, you know, we, we can literally have them in their bed at home or in the backyard in the sun and we've just got uh, kind of less likelihood that we're going to aggravate any discomfort in, in the journey into the veterinary clinic. Yes. And the other big benefit is really for the, the family members. You know, if, if you're a mess and you're crying, um, you know, the last thing you really want to do is be sort of sitting in a, in a hospital waiting room Um Emergency situations are often different, but, you know, for many of the families we work with, if, if they have the ability to make that choice ahead of time, you know, being at home is, is often gentler yeah. on everyone. Um, and the last thing then that the pets do remember is, is just being at home surrounded by the people that they love. So yeah. um, it can be, you know, a, a, a gentler process for pets that, don't like to travel or can't travel or, or they're sore or uncomfortable at the end. Oh God, this is a <laughs> this is a uh, definitely a hard one to um to talk about. Yeah. Um, how do we know when it's time? Like, mm. you know, if we can see, and I know sometimes in our our head and our heart can often go in two different directions, where you know, but you don't want to admit it, perhaps because it's too hard and you don't want to face it. I know at the end of the day it comes back down to our our babies and what's best for them. But when is it? When do you get to that point and you go, okay, we've now got to do something about this sooner rather than later? Yeah. Look, I think so much of that depends on the the disease or or the condition that the pet has, and and your mm. vet is there to give you guidance on that. So we know a lot about what we are likely to expect with the condition that they have, heart failure, for example, or, you know, end-stage arthritis. Um, so the, the, the disease itself is, is one factor. The other factor is the individual personality of the pet. And this yeah. is really where owners often have really great senses you know your pet really well it's about kind of getting in touch objectively with what you're seeing and that can be really tricky so you know there's things that we can do to help guide families through that we can give them kind of tools and and surveys to to kind of objectively assess okay how's their pain today how's their mobility today how's their appetite today But there's really no one single measure that I want people to hang their hats on. And I think we used to spend a lot of time kind of focusing on are they eating and drinking? That was kind of the measure for a lot of people. Yeah, well, when we went through that, that was like 14, 15 years ago, and that was a bit of a measure on what you did. I think we used to kind of feel like that was a reasonable way to assess how comfortable they are. But we know now that, you know, there will be some pets that are suffering even though they're eating. And we know that there are some pets that, you know, on the converse, may be quite comfortable for a period um, without much food intake as long as we've sufficiently managed their pain. Um, So it's not a black and white, uh, this is the measure to look for. We really have kind of a a spectrum of time in which we want to be thinking about this decision based on things like quality of life. And 
what we're really trying to avoid, I suppose, is is making the decision way too early where they've still got good life left yeah. or way too late where we know that we've kind of left it too long and we're, we're, we're having difficulty making that decision for our own reasons. So guidance is really important. You know, I think we all think we should know these things, um, but it is a, a fairly kind of specific skill set that, that as veterinarians we develop in learning how to kind of identify some of those subtle signs of discomfort and pain and remembering that, you know, our dogs aren't telling us where they hurt. They're often showing us with things like behaviour changes or changes in their posture or the way they move. So those things can be really subtle when you're living with them every day. It's yeah. really common that we'll have a, a situation where, you know, the adult children come home to visit parents and they go, oh, gosh, I haven't seen the dog for two months. I can see the change and, and you know, mum and dad can't see it because they're yeah. living with those pets every day. So trying to be objective um, for those of you who might be kind of grappling with some of these decisions right now we we do have actual resources that we can share um, you can actually download a quality of life assessment tool on our website at sunset vets if that's helpful i was going to say we'll put that in the show notes because that'd be helpful to have yeah, yeah so that can help people just sort of take a bit of the emotion out of it and, and kind of measure yeah do i feel he's painful today tomorrow next week and we're looking for those trends i suppose of declining quality of life um, and we're really looking also for when those kind of days where we think they're uncomfortable or the bad days outweigh the good days. Um, you know, if we're getting more bad days than good days, it's really time yeah. for us to assess do we need to up medications or think about a different approach or, or are we beyond that kind of intervention and it's really about making them comfortable through well, euthanasia. I think what you said before about us knowing our dogs better than everyone else, anyone else as well, like you know what their normal is. So when, yep. whether it's just a general sickness and you're like they're off but it's it's worse than what, it, you know, it's it seems, you know, bad, I need to take them to the vet or whether it's obviously something a lot more serious, we know what their normal is, Absolutely. what their normal personality is, what their routine is, all that sort of stuff. So I think being yeah. able to judge that and go, yeah, that might be normal for some dogs but that's not normal for my dog Um so important trust your trust your gut assessment of those things yeah. seek seek advice and support you know it is it is something that's really difficult to make decisions around and and it's normal that people need someone to to kind of work through that decision making with them yeah. um and yeah if if you're feeling like this is not normal for my pet we would want to we would want to look into to that and and kind of closely observe is there more that we can do or are we at that decision making point with you um and i think that's definitely one of the the benefits for for us at sunset in that we are working in the home environment we can often see hey that's not normal here at home mm. whereas for many pets when they get in the car and they get excited and they get into a new environment like a, a veterinary clinic they'll get a bit of an adrenaline kick and, and so some of those more subtle signs you know we've all probably had that you yeah, look like, at the vet and you're like you just took a minute to go <laughs> yeah he looked awful at home and now he doesn't yeah. and, and that's part of of I guess you know pets kind of perking up um in that environment and and we as as home visiting vets I guess do typically see more of what you're seeing as an owner so if you're concerned yeah. we're concerned um and we can um probably see a little more in the home environment than we sometimes would see if we were you know consulting and, and doing a, a health examination in, in the clinic yeah it's it's um it's an interesting um thing i know with with our um with our past guys harley um who was multi who was a little maltese he um fainted one day when we went to go for a walk and we went what's going on and and, you know, we end up finding out that he had pulmonary hypertension and a heart murmur, which apparently somehow mm -hmm. helped each, you know, he was on all these drugs, but each each issue has sort of helped the other sort of thing. It was very weird. But he was going to see the best cardiologist in Queensland, I think, Dr. Brad, Dr. Yeah. Brad Gavigan, who is Gavigan. still, I believe, is still practising. Yeah. Um, and he was just so lovely. And I remember when we first saw him, he said, we'd be lucky to have six months with Hals. I mean, it was like, you know, I've got to be realistic. You know, he's going to be on these drugs that could impact his kidneys. Well, we had Harley for three years. Amazing. Um, and, and a lot of that was with his, you know, with Brad's care. And I remember Brad we were care. in down 
he would perk up and Rad would look at him and he'd go, this dog, he said, I swear to God, every time I, I think, oh, you know, we might have three months, he might have three months. And he, he comes in here and he surprises me every time. Yeah. And look, I think I think we do see that. Yeah, we have the statistics and the numbers and then we also have those pets that out, outlive all of those those prognoses. Yeah. So, you know, that's really where, you know, having someone on your team to help guide you, we, you know, is, is really, really helpful. And, you know, as palliative care vets, we see that all the time that we, we, we smash through those numbers and we, you know, are kind of connecting back to that, that pet's regular veterinarian going, Hey, look, they're doing really well. We've, you know, we've, we've got great owners, we've got a great yeah. care plan. And, you know, I know you were sort of referring and saying, referring this pet to us saying it's probably nearly time. We're 12 months down the track and everyone's doing great. So, um, yeah, look, I think, I think it, it can certainly happen that, that we outdo the numbers. And I think the thing, the, the important thing is there as well that, you know, you want the vet to give you a realistic, you know, outcome as well. Like you don't go, oh, you're gonna, they're going to be great for the next, you know, 12 months and then, you know, a month passes and, you know, they, they're gone. I think I'd rather have it the other way around and say, look, let's be a bit realistic about this and, you know, maybe they've only got this amount of time and if they live past that, that's a bonus and let's embrace that. Um, but, you know, you guys don't have magic balls either, to go, you know, and to be able to go, oh, look, let's just look at our little crystal ball and say, you know, this is the the outcome. I mean, I don't, I think it's realistic that no one should, you know, expect you to do that either as a, as a vet or as a palliative care vet. Well, look, I think what we can share with you is just the, the, the numbers and the data that we have and we all accept that, that you know, that data is not always going to accurately reflect what's happening for the individual pet mm-hmm. and that's definitely one of the things I love most about palliative care is, is kind of this real individualisation of what our treatment plan will be. So we yeah. look at the disease, we look at the family, we look at what our goals are and, and we kind of create this individualized plan so yeah look I think it's it's really helpful and important for families to have some idea of a expected timeline and I agree we want that to be kind of a conservative timeline so hey worst case scenario we might be looking at this amount of time if we more than that then that's a win Uh, and that allows families I guess to prepare for those important decisions around what they might want that final day to be and look like and feel like Um, but yeah when we when we do outdo you know those expectations I think everybody within the care team kind of does a little happy dance it's what we what we want for all of our pets and um, with good care and good intervention you know, we often can extend life and still have those extra days or weeks or months being really good quality of life. What we don't want is to, you know, extend it and and have that pet uncomfortable or not well-managed. So that's the the kind of real risk is not, um, yeah, not not what's the timeline, it's what's the quality of life look like and, and are we all comfortable with this level of quality of life? Yes, no, that will guide our decisions. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of euthanizing, God, I hate that word, but um, what sort of options do people have? I've seen some really beautiful stories on some different Facebook groups of people that have done all their favorite dogs' favorite things on that day, or like whether they like to sit in the sun and give them certain treats and really make their, you know, their their last day as, as special as they can, I guess. Um, and again, and obviously everyone's different in how they want to handle that but are there I mean it used to be or um you know just you give them a little needle and they go to sleep is I'm assuming that's still sort of the only other option in terms of the finality of it but um I guess I'm guessing that in terms of the lead up to that that's going to be more of a personalized approach right yeah definitely and you know it's really interesting that you sort of say oh I hate that term um when we look at what that word does but when we look at what that word actually means what it what it basically means is providing a good death that's the latin root of that particular word and I think as palliative care vets particularly and look all vets I think think about this 
we really do want to do everything we can to to try to make sure that that last day is a good day. So our goal for families wherever we can is to try to avoid a real crisis for them where they do end up in, you know, a situation where it's not what the family want and, and everyone's stressed and anxious and you don't have those precious moments. Um, so we can definitely plan, I guess, around when we, we all decide that quality of life is deteriorating and we know this decision needs to be made we really do want to aim to make that decision ideally even if it's a day earlier than it needs to be we don't want it to be a day too late so for many people that that how do I set a day how do I set a time it really comes down to well if we don't set a day if we don't set a time what's the risk of a potential crisis with whatever is happening for my pet um so if we've got the ability to plan, if you're well supported by your vet, um, then definitely things like, you know, bucket lists in the days or weeks before that decision is made are uh, things that a lot of our clients do. So, you know, there'll be a trip to the beach and, you know, there'll be favourite treats and all of those things. Um, when it comes to the kind of actual procedure, Tim, um, Definitely, you know, the, the old kind of approach to euthanasia, I think, you know, was this kind of injection of, of an anaesthetic. And that's essentially how we, we help pets to pass is with an overdose of an anaesthetic agent. So it's very gentle in that sense. It's like having a general anaesthetic and we go off to sleep. Um, what many, many vets will now do, and not all, but many, they will give a combination of medications ahead of that anaesthetic, which will sedate or tranquilize and make that pet feel good and comfortable. And, and there'll probably be some pain relief medications within that combination. That then often allows the family to spend some time cuddling that pet and, you know, for some pets that have been grumpy or painful or anxious, you you might not have had time to actually, you know, cuddle that pet or brush those mats out or those things that you might want to do. Um, so I guess our procedures and our techniques have also evolved a little bit over time. And for some families, we will, you know, choose slightly different procedures depending on the pet, the condition and what the family needs um so the goal i think for every vet is to try to make that passing very gentle um that being said you know same as we see in in human medicine and human health you know for some patients dying can be can be difficult death can be messy uh and so it's really important i guess that we um understand that as a community of dog lovers and we we support each other you know if we've got a really unwell pet that's got a lot of disease in their body um we we sometimes will also have pets that you know the the passing that we uh, you know endeavor to give them is not always beautifully smooth it's not always a hollywood movie uh and i think it's important when we're having a conversation about what are you concerned about? What do you know is about to happen? And, and how do we kind of educate people um, around death and dying? It's, it's what we kind of call death literacy. And it's a really important conversation to have. It's a, it's a very hard conversation to have yeah. as well. I know um, having been through it three times with, with Nike, Hallie and Jazz and each one of those Situations were, were different situations. Um, yeah. Harley's was very sudden. Um, and Nike and Jazz's, we had a little bit more time, but it ended time. up being quite sudden as well. It's, yeah. It's, um, it's yeah, only at the end of the day, my my goal was to be there for them and just to, to you know, tell them I love them and um, and give back as much as I could to them that little bit of time that we, that we had left with them and, it's, it rips your heart out regardless of, you know, whether it's an extra day that you get with them or whatever, mm. you know, it, when it is coming to that to that time, it's it's never an easy thing to deal with, that's for sure. But um, yeah. I want to sort of move the conversation <laughs> a bit over to Tia <laughs> again. Um, I'm not talking about giving you the part on the floor, Missy, um, <laughs> about 
grief and handling yep. grief. Um, I very vividly remember our circumstances with our guys. Um, like it happened yesterday. Way too, it was, it's way too vivid. But I know when my little Jazz passed away, I my way of dealing with it was to keep busy. I'm just going to keep busy and and not really sort of deal with it too much. And a few months down the track, I fell in a, a, a big heap because I hadn't really dealt with her passing like I should have and really let that grief come through. I felt, you know, I was like, well, if I keep busy, it's going to be easier, which wasn't the case. How does it, as how as owners, and again, I know everyone is different, you know, what is a good process for us to follow or how should we handle this process? Because to this day, as you may be, may be here, I still get upset about it. Um, yeah. You know, obviously you have your moments because like anything, like any sort of death, you have your moments of that happened, you know, a year ago or, or 10 years ago um, that, you know, you still remember them and they're around and whatever. But oh, now I'm going off track because I'm a bit emotional about this. But um, what are some good ways or some tips that you can share with everyone on how to handle this maybe when it even first happens and then in those sort of days and weeks after you know, we've lost our, our beloved. Yeah, and look, you know, Tanya, I can I can feel the grief still and I think <laughs> the most helpful thing I can say to anyone in that situation is, is probably what you're experiencing is also really normal. So, you know, everybody does have a different way of, of I guess, working through or experiencing their what they call their grief journey and it's not a linear process of you're going to go from this stage to the next stage to the next stage um, much like you've described for some families they will kind of be in almost that sort of denial phase for a period and then they'll kind of move back into that real sadness and and um, you know the heavy grieving phase so for most people, um, you know, they're going to have a, a really varied journey uh, and there's lots of things that factor into the way in which we grieve. I think the, the first way in which we can help people is trying to actually support them ahead of that loss. So we talk about this concept of anticipatory grief and we know that families who are dealing with a very unwell pet or they're giving lots of care and lots of medications and the, the kind of disease that their pet has requires them to, you know, get up three times a night. And those families are, are often experiencing what we kind of call anticipatory grief and caregiver burden in the lead up to the point in which we have that pet um, pass or, or is euthanized. So by supporting people ahead of time, if we've got that ability to do that, that tends to make their grief journey a little bit easier. And then after the loss of that pet, it's really about finding yourself support and connection around your grief. So Keeping yourself busy is an absolutely okay thing to do. Keeping to routines, an absolutely okay thing to do. Equally, though, if you need time off and space, I think, you know, you need to grant yourself that and, and knowing that however you're feeling beyond the loss of a pet is actually probably pretty normal. We do have some families that, you know, their grieving extends for a very long period after the loss. So, you know, six or 12 months later, they're still experiencing grief that's not just sadness, it's actually interfering with how they, you know, get through the day. Uh, and those families, I guess, we would we would try to connect them to, to proper grief support um, yeah. to, to help them get back to kind of a, a, a more normal way of, of doing daily activities because um, certainly that kind of more complicated grief um, can be really, uh, you know, challenging for us to, to then juggle life with um, and many of those people I suppose there's there's other layers of grief on top of the grief that that we see as as veterinary professionals you know we think the the grief is is about the loss of the pet and there may be other factors that are contributing to those more complicated grief um, so yeah look I think there's lots of things that we can do um, it's really about recognizing that it is pretty normal for us to feel a, a really heavy 
and sometimes quite shocking um, grief after the loss of a pet. And one of the really unique things about pet loss is that it's often not just a loss or a trauma that we've experienced. It's both of those things, but we've also got this extra layer of potential guilt around that decision-making. And it's really one of the things. Did we do it it at the right time? Absolutely. And when I kind of work with, um, you know, counselling professionals, the one thing that they really always kind of recognise is this is a unique type of grief. Almost in no other facet of our life are we actively making a decision to let our pet go and to make that decision around euthanasia. Um, There are some parallels that we see now with caregivers and voluntary assisted dying that is becoming an option in human health. And that's a whole other topic of conversation. Mm. But with respect to pet loss, I think a lot of people are quite surprised by how impacted they are. And it's not until we stop and think about it, we go, well, actually, there's a really significant reason why this type of loss is so impactful. So it's really about not not diminishing what you're feeling and getting the right support. Uh, and certainly, again, for anyone who might be experiencing this or, or soon to, um, we also have some resources around um, grief counselling and, and things that we can connect people to, um, if that might be of, of help to anyone listening. Because yeah. it's it's yeah, it's really tough when you're walking that journey alone. It's really difficult. It's um yeah it's and look I oh, thank you for having this um you know conversation today because it is a hard conversation it's something that we don't want to think about but I think it's important as you've mentioned that we you know we have some sort of a plan in place we are you know a bit realistic about, about the fact that it is going to happen one day as much as we don't want it. it's the same as us you know we're we're not going to live forever um but 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 having some care and support and, you know, team of professionals that can guide you and so forth is such um, an important part of that process. So thank you so much, um, Jackie, for, for sharing your insights and expertise because I know it's it, it will help me, it will help so many other people that, um, you know, will have to go through this process at some point in time and as much as we don't want to talk about it, it's part of life, right, and we do have to deal with it and, you um, yeah, I'm just I'm just glad we've been able to have this conversation and hopefully it's going to help um, a lot of people. Yeah, my pleasure, Tanya. It is a tricky one to, to kind of navigate, but, um, yeah, it is an important one and, and I think that the more prepared we are, the, the better things go. Um, so, yeah, if we can help some families to start to think about it, you know, before they need to be making decisions and then we know that their grief is going to be reduced and and hopefully we're going to get those decisions right around timing and how and when. So, yeah, yeah, my pleasure to be here. And um, And I'll put all your details in the show notes as well so people can access those resources and, and, you know, reach out to you guys um, if they they need to. Um, But I thank you so much for your time. Um, It's been a very enlightening, um, emotional (laughs) And um, but important conversation. Thanks, Jack. My pleasure. Thanks, Tan. Take care. Do you want a unique gift for a dog lover? Then you will love our personalised magazine covers that put your dog on the cover and make them the cover star. Choose your title, headline, and style, and we'll do the rest. Find them at threespoiltdogs.com.au. more about the services we provide here at three sport dogs then visit our website three is in the number three sportdogs.com.au also send me an email if you've got any questions or to request specific topics in future episodes if you'd like to become a collaborative partner or just to tell me how much you love the podcast i would love to hear from you